Welcome to the, uh, well, it's not Top 10 Thursdays, but I guess the mildly pleased uh, countdown of, not even a countdown, countdown. just discussion of our favorite things of the year 2019 so far. Can you believe it, guys? We're almost at the end of the 2010s decade, just six months to go. Mm. How's everybody feeling about this year, Uh, pop culture-wise, not everything else in the world? Strictly pop culture wise, it seems like it's pretty good. I mean, obviously, right now we're in a bit of a slump because mm-hmm. a bunch of franchise movies are bombing at the box office. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We haven't seen like any of those either. Well, you know, yeah. you've seen you've seen some. You I saw, saw Dark the Dark Phoenix, and it was very bad. I can't. Did you see Godzilla? I did not see Godzilla. Okay, but you intended to, but then it was yeah, it was put forward. I can't rule out that I will see Godzilla. They Guys. just they just canceled the screening due to lack of interest. <laughs> Dude, I hear there's 17 titans. That's a lot of That's titans. how many giant monsters there are. How many of them are actually Godzilla monsters, and how many of them are mutos? Uh, there's like like 10 of them are mutos. Uh. <laughs> or like giant bug. Uh. Who gives a shit? Uh, they have to have a universe to build, Sean. But like, they're adding in monsters unnecessarily, because the next movie is... Godzilla vs. King Kong anyway, which is a one-on-one, so why why show that Godzilla can beat so many monsters? Maybe there's a bunch of other monsters that have to go through before Final Battle. <laughs> He's the final boss. <laughs> He's the final boss. Or, like, gets to the end of the movie, like Avengers, where you think Godzilla's on the ropes, but then all his friends come from another dimension <laughs> and save him. <laughs> but they're all the monsters. I did hear, though, yeah. not, not to spend too much time on the... Godzilla universe, whatever they're calling it, the legendary monster. I think it's a name, but I don't remember what it is. I heard they delayed that Kong Godzilla movie, and Ooh. I feel like it's because the movie didn't do that good, King of Monsters. Mm. So I'm always hoping that this like this fad of these like we're gonna build a universe around these characters. I hope that fad dies out at some point. Yeah, it's definitely the end of an era right now. We have like no good universes going on right now i mean that's been a part of it too yeah i I would say that for me that's been a very uh recurring theme of the year is end of an era Mm -hmm. with avengers endgame and game of thrones um it it certainly has felt like we're shutting it down uh it was was kind of nice to have e3 um recently as well because that was a very forward-looking uh event they're all talking about new consoles and cloud gaming and all this futuristic stuff that's going to start happening in the 2020s, which would be fun. Those are that's gonna, sounds like a fun decade, right? We'll see. I don't know. I feel like 2019 is going to turn out pretty good for albums and music and TV, and then 2020 is not. It might, it's probably good for games, Ooh. but I don't think... Eh, we'll see, though. We'll see. Do game, Sean. Tell us about some of the games. Yeah, I also <laughs> wanted to start the game section off on a depressing note by talking about Anthem because definitely in January, going into February, I was like, well, I don't even care about the games that are coming out the rest of the year because I'm going to have Anthem to play. Uh, it was the big new uh, Bioware game. You know, they're the guys who made Mass Effect and a bunch of other games that I love. 
Um, they're bounce. They're supposed to be bouncing back from Mass Effect on Andromeda, their sort of spin-off sequel that came out a couple years ago, uh, and disappointed people because it had a dumb story and a bunch of technical problems. Um, and and that the narrative going into Anthem was that well, that was the B team at Bioware working on that, and the A team has this whole time been working on Anthem, uh, which was gonna be like sort of like a Destiny style, like open world loot based shooter game. Uh, where everyone plays as basically Iron Man, like you, you all got a cool robot suit that was just like a little bit bigger than you, not definitely not a giant robot suit, um, and you had different powers and guns, and you were fighting on this weird planet with full, full of aliens, and uh, it seemed awesome, and you could fly everywhere. That's what I was going to ask. This is the game where you can fly, right? Yeah, you can fly everywhere. How good is that flying? It's really good, but... They put a limit on it. You can only fly for so long before you have to land on the ground again and cool off your jets for a second. Which is sort of emblematic of all the problems this game has. Uh, just like Mass Effect Andromeda, it has a ton of technical issues that really hold it back from being something you want to play for a, a long amount of time. Um, and then just the design of the game is very repetitive and honestly not very long it's hard to want to stay engaged in the game and recently stories have come out about how troubled the development was and the terrible conditions i thought this was the a team yeah and the terrible <laughs> conditions that the that those talented developers were were put under apparently leadership was very indecisive and uh all these developers were forced to Crunch, uh, and they were told that uh, the the Bioware magic is going to save the day, but uh, that definitely did not happen. And uh, now the player base has basically disappeared. And Electronic Arts says they're going to keep supporting the game, but a lot of people doubt that, and it's been a massive disappointment. And you probably already mentioned it by space out because there's a lot of information for someone that wasn't following this very closely. Uh -huh. Is this the actual game, or is this like a beta thing that's been released? Right? Yeah, that's the thing. It's the actual game. Is the actual? Because I didn't even like. It seemed like such a like everyone was talking about it, but then it came out, and I heard about it for a couple of weeks. I'm like, well, there's more to come with this. Right? Yeah, you'd think. Um, especially they did a thing where they were trying to encourage you to sign up for their like Game Pass service, which is called Origin Access. So they were saying, spend the 10 bucks for a month and we'll give you access to Anthem for that month. Uh, and then as long as you want to stay subscribed. Um, and I don't know if that worked for people, but it seems like that was also a way to immediately lose a huge chunk of your player base because mm -hmm. all those people dipped their toe in like, this is a garbage fire, and then got out. Um, so it's like it's still upsetting because it's a game that is fun sometimes, and you see the potential in it when you play it. But it's so far from being a uh, complete and confident experience. Uh, and that became extra clear when Tom Clancy's The Division 2 came out, which is a similar game uh, in that it's a loot-based shooter, um, except it has a great user experience. It's super polished. It's really fun. I like the game. I don't love it though, and I can't commit to it like I can to Destiny because you're still it's still like, like this the division and the division 2 are set in a world where I think the story is people put terrorists put a disease on money and so everyone oh. spending cash got sick and died to all the boomers. <laughs> 
<laughs> not a problem with millennials and so uh, it's like years later and society has fallen and like this like remnant of the u.s government is trying to put things back together and you're in this elite agency called the division trying to save the government <laughs> and you're going around shooting people who are scavenging for supplies and it just doesn't feel very good uh it was really bad in the first one because it was like in the winter and everyone's super desperate and you're shooting them. They tried to get away from that a little bit this time by making it in the summer and moving it from New York City to Washington, D.C. Uh, and they're like really emphasizing that these are like bad, opportunist criminal guys. They're mm-hmm. not just desperate people. Um, but I just, I like shooting aliens. I don't like shooting people that have families and lives. One of these other ones had aliens? Destiny as aliens. Okay, that's that's all I'm saying. I was like, how far are we straying from Tom Clancy's vision? <laughs> Is this really what he would have wanted? Yeah, it's also fucking wild that Tom Clancy's been dead for a decade and they're still putting stuff out <laughs> with his name on it. Okay. Um, another game that some people in this room also got to try was Apex Legends, mm-hmm. briefly, which was a spin on the um, battle royale genre by the guys that make the Titanfall games. Uh, Respawn, they used to be a lot of the Call of Duty people before. Mm. Uh, some of them got fired and others went with them. Um, it's definitely been my favorite of the Battle Royale games that I've played, but I still just find it depressing. So to me, it feels like every other Battle Royale game. What about it to you stands out? Well, I mean, for one, it's a first-person shooter, and I know it's not the only first-person shooter in the Battle Royale genre. There's the um, Call of Duty at least has a battle royale mode now, um, but it for me the key feature is that ability to ping stuff wherever you want in the environment to say um, you know enemy over there or loot over here, um, which is great. That's an amazing tool, and uh, in a genre that requires a ton of communication, that's super useful and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and you combine that with I think very competent first-person shooter uh, movement and gunplay and uh, it just feels to me like a much better game than something like Fortnite did where I never felt like I was really in control as a as a shooter um, and definitely hated all the like construction stuff it's, it's way too can't do it fast enough yeah I just don't there's feel just kids out there enough. I assume are playing it on, on their keyboards so they can just go yeah, I mean, I'm playing on my keyboard too. I just don't have the same reflexes as those kids. Kids um, these days, right, Colin? Kids in their Fortnite. Oh yeah, get them out of here. <laughs> the uh, uh, there's another battle royale game that I liked this year, and that's Tetris '99, which Ooh. was a free download for um, Nintendo Switch Online users. What was the Tetris that came out last year that was beautiful? Oh, Tetris Effect. Mm, I okay. love Tetris Effect. And that's and that sort of sort of helped me um, hone my Tetris skills, which is important for Tetris 99 because the idea is you're put in a massive game where a bunch of people are all playing Tetris together um, and they can send you know walls of lines into your game. Um, and so you're all competing to to make it to the end, to be the last one still playing Tetris, um, which is a goofy concept, but it's pretty fun. And you know, it's still Tetris. Everybody loves Tetris. 
Yeah, I think I played it once, but I mostly just found it kind of terrifying and overwhelming. Because they're talking that shit on you. you just, yeah. I like to be in control when I'm playing Tetris. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if the the idea of like randomness <laughs> gels with with what I want out of a Tetris experience, but it, it was interesting. It goes. So, I just didn't last long. Yeah, it goes really fast. You know, your typical yeah. Tetris, you start on speed, you know, zero or one. Mm-hmm. You've got a long time of, of, of like getting into that zen-like state of making lines, and this one, it ramps up to the, the high speed very quickly, and then you're scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last game I wanted to give a shout-out to is Devil May Cry 5. Have you guys ever played any of the Devil May Cry games? Like a barely. I was never into the stream together combos. Yeah, so they're, they're spectacle fighter games, um, which are, you know, um, the God of War games, Bayonetta, are other examples of this uh, genre. Um, the Devil May Cry has been going on for a while, and it started out as, like, a super, like, Japanese metal-type game where you're, like, this demon hunter who actually is, like, the son of a demon, but he's half-human, too, and... Like, the thing I remember about the first Devil May Cry game is one of the first PS2 games I ever got. And, like, one of the first things that happens to you in the game is the way you get your sword is it gets thrown at you and you're impaled on it and you fall to the ground. And the guy, like, stands up through the sword. <laughs> like, he's on the ground and he gets up and he just, like, moves his whole body through the whole length of the sword, including the hilt. And he's like, yeah, now I got a sword. <laughs> So it's that sort of thing. Uh, but it's gotten goofier and weirder. And this um, fifth one, it's not actually the fifth. There was a spin-off game called DMC, which I really like. That's that game where you got to fight inside Fox News. I think I've told you guys about that part before. You fight Roger Ailes? <laughs> yeah. You fight in a soda factory and inside Fox News. It's like about all the ways that capitalism is trying to control the population. It's great. It's pretty cool. Um, For some reason, when you said that, I thought you meant you get sucked into a TV and you're in Fox News. That, or, no, oh, that, that is, is, that is exactly. You're okay. sucked into a TV and okay. you're fighting in Fox well, News. Well, John said Roger as I assumed you're like backstage or at the corporate <laughs> no, headquarters. The final boss is more of like a Bill O'Reilly type guy. Okay. But he's overweight like Roger Ailes. <laughs> um, Devil May Cry 5 though is a sequel to Devil May Cry 4 um, which wasn't as popular because they had a new protagonist in that game for at least part of it. Um, Nero uh, and the Devil May Cry 5 Nero's back but so is Dante the protagonist from the first three games. Uh, and there's a new character for you to play as called V, who's um, someone who walks with a cane and has the power to summon demons. So he plays pretty different from the other two who use guns and swords to fight. Uh, he's making shadow monsters appear. And it's got a fun, goofy story, which can be made even goofier if you buy the deluxe edition of the game. Because they give you the option to replace the cinematics with the motion capture for the cinematics. So you can just, instead of seeing the story, you see guys in green costumes. You can imagine what that looks like. (laughs) It's really funny. Um, I'll show it to you later. And you can look it up, listener, on YouTube. It's it's a great special feature. It's one of the best things I've ever seen included in a game. Uh, So I don't know how many of these will be talked about at the end of the year, but those have been the non-Destiny games that I've put the time into so far this year. So let's talk about music. And I'm on the top of the music yeah. list too. 
selection <laughs> for liking whatever remains of drums. The so drums is down to just the one guy now, uh, same as it was for the last album. Uh, I can't remember what his name is. He's just got a regular. It's like Jonathan Pierce or something like that. It's just this regular guy name. It's a Keanu Reeves character Jonathan, name. That sounds like such a familiar name. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, and just like Abyssal Thoughts, it's he's the only member of the band at this point. Um, I would say Brutalism, uh, which is the name of the new album. Yeah, you nailed it. Johnny Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is a bit of a, a grower uh, because it's got this sort of like hot and cold approach. Uh, where there's a little, some like slower, more tender songs mixed in with the fast, poppy, uh, sort of surf rocky songs. Um, but it really grew on me, and I've listened to it a whole lot um it's got one of my favorite songs of the year on it but i don't know did you guys ever check out abyssal thoughts john you said you listened to some drums albums right i reviewed the first one the first one like uh, the drums yeah when they were a band they'd like let's go surfing remember that song was called this is the first two albums so i saw like hints of like the synth stuff but then it seemed like they're losing guys and losing guys and it seemed like they're on the <laughs> downward slope for me though they still re- remained relevant so clearly they have a following despite being like a totally different i guess not necessarily a totally different group they feel like a totally different group to me because just the one guy but i guess they probably still sound relatively the same i haven't heard any of the recent stuff i've honestly never listened to that first album the first one i, I listened love to that was first album. portamento i feel like that was on my top 10 of whatever year that was that's was that like a billion years ago yeah <laughs> was that even this decade is that like 2010 maybe portamento i see is 2011 so going way back man hmm. Uh, I listened to the last one. Abyssal Thoughts? Well, it seemed like you liked it a lot. I, I did. I try to listen to things that you like a lot. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. I didn't spend a lot of time with it. It seemed, <laughs> seemed good, I guess. It's fun. It's a fun album. 2010. So is this one. Uh, yeah, for music this year, it, it's, uh, it just gets harder every year as I get more and more used to using streaming as basically my main platform. I still will buy a, a record every once in a while if I, I really like it. Um, it's not, like I could do shout-outs to more albums I like, but I only put a few out here just because, you know, I, I've reviewed most of the albums I like, and I'm in the middle of doing a, a two-part post where I'm just unloading everything that I have even any thoughts to write down about. I will say I, I purposely did not put um, The National on here because we already did that podcast. Yeah. Um, I thought I didn't put Vampire Weekend on here, but maybe I did. No, I put it on okay. here. Because <laughs> you guys did that podcast too. Yeah. Um, but what I felt like i should just put out here because it feels like it's been kind of the year of of lizzo and in particular the song juice but um her album because i love you i think is very good as well um like i feel like a bunch of the songs on it could be singles it's just juice has been kind of the breakout and i guess tempo you know i hear every once in a while too which is a cool sort of more more straight up hip-hop song and you know she she covers 
a wide range of, of genres on this album. You got kind of just straight up pop songs. You got um, R&B. Some of it kind of more 80s Prince sounding. Some of it more of like a retro 60s vibe, sort of like in the vein of Amy Winehouse. Some just, I don't know. Just just super fun, catchy, kind of brash pop songs. And uh, yeah, it's just a good time. My experience with this album, uh, besides liking it on my own, is trying to play it in the car uh, with my parents and one of my brothers on a ride home from a wedding. And no one liking it at all. We didn't even make it through the first song before they were <laughs> like, you got to put something different on. What did you put on after that? Uh, it was accepted over Lizzo. I'm just amazed every time you try to play new music for your family. Like, what do you think, John? They don't have the same taste in music Dude, as sometimes you. Sometimes it works. I think I told you uh, on that same trip, I played the whole new Vampire Weekend <laughs> album, and they Dude. thought it was a Paul Simon album, but they liked it. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> There's been... Um, I played... I played a mutual benefit album on that trip and they liked it. Love's Crushing Diamond. It's a pretty inoffensive album. <laughs> and then I think we played Elton John a lot on the ride home. Yeah. Because, you know, that movie that no one saw except for most of America. Sure. Uh, anyway, next on the list is mine. Uh, it's Nelufer Yanya's uh, debut album, Miss Universe. Um, totally my type bullshit, you know, it's like a young woman songwriter doing her debut alt-pop album. Your type of bullshit? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bullshit. But, but, uh, is, uh, where, that's an interesting name, is, uh, is this person from, like, another country, like? Oh, I think, uh, I think she's British. British. Yeah. But, well. It sounds very British, at least. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering. It sounds uh, international. Yeah, and it's got a pretty diverse sound to it. I mean, it, it's, it'd be dismissive to call it just, like, pop or rock, because there's definitely um, jazzy and hip-hoppy aspects to this music as well. There's even, like, sort of skits, like little tiny things calling you nodding a little bit have you listened to this yeah i listened to it um around when it came out and i was like ah, there's, there's a lot going on here yeah. <laughs> and i didn't really um listen to it too much after maybe a listen or two but then i saw you put this on this list and i was like you know i liked that record but i, I didn't spend a ton of time with it and so i yeah i listened to it a few more times um and yeah i, I like it a lot it's very eclectic but also kind of interestingly uses sort of you know guitar indie rock as kind of the basis but you have all these other pop sounds i guess like you were talking about with r&b and kind of a jazzy sort of like sade sound thrown in there and uh yeah it's good i like it nice thanks uh and the other one that i wanted to talk about was self-esteem's new album compliments please um and self-esteem when you read the wikipedia page you're like oh this is this is probably someone around my age, 
because they're like, oh, Rebecca Taylor used to be part of this other band, and now she's going solo with a new band, Self Esteem. But then I looked it up. She's born in 1995. Mm. So she's still pretty young. So it's still that type of bullshit that I like. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Lizzo's our age. Thank <laughs> God. Older, <laughs> we had a vampire weekend. Um, but yeah, much more into just like a, a, a pop sound. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, but we like that now as a group and uh, this is the one for me that has the catchy songs that I like to listen to I didn't know what this was you did put this on the list though like a week ago I should have caught up with it but I just couldn't uh, couldn't fit it in I played it for you in the car once ooh Sean's sneaky sneaky car moves (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, yep. Yeah, no consent. Um, so there's that Vampire Weekend album, Father mm-hmm. and Bride. I guess we've already talked about it. We did that whole podcast on it. But I, you know, my, my <laughs> thoughts on it then were kind of, uh, they they weren't fully formed. And I've come around to the fact that I, I like this album a lot. <laughs> Shocker. Shocker. I did give it a four and a half star review, but uh, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just like that they did an album like this. <laughs> That's you know, all their albums are very sort of pristine and very exact, and I like that this one's a little more all over the place, but also at the same time, it's not too indulgent. It's just indulgent, indulgent. And we're back. Sorry about that. Uh, to cut into our Vampire Weekend discussion, um, we had some technical difficulties, and we were able to string something back together. Uh, and so we're back to continue the podcast. And we even had some time to add a few more uh, albums to our list. But we actually had one on our list that we hadn't gotten talked to yet. Well, talk about. I'd like to think we talked to the music, but. It's pretty much a one-way street. Do you do you want me to go get the Wise Blood record and have me talk to it? <laughs> yeah, so Wise Blood's Titanic it. Rising you put on the list. No, I, I want to tell you <laughs> Titanic Rising, your your good record. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add. It's just a, it's just a really lovely, well-produced album. Uh, co-produced by one of the guys from Foxygen. Oh, <laughs> Oh, okay. man, they suck now. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, it's good at producing. This album sounds really good. Okay. So, what what sort of context do you find yourself listening to Titanic Rising in? Do you, is it a driving album for you? No, because you bought. because well, I bought it on vinyl, so it's an an at home record. Yeah. And I feel like there is kind of a specific kind of record I get for for vinyl where it is something maybe a little mellower that you can kind of put on in the background like when i'm writing or doing work or something mm-hmm. I, I usually don't buy like punk records or or like a rap album on, on vinyl because i they're, they're just not good background music but this one's like you know it, it's kind of soft and pleasing to the ear but also like kind of epic and sweeping at the same time oh yeah um, so I guess I wanted to rapid fire a few that we had put on and then taken off because of the technical difficulties. Um, so one was the new Taco Cat album, which we all liked. We had the opportunity to go see their sort of uh, release party show, which was really fun. 
exposed me to the band Beverly Crusher, which I'm way into now. <laughs> but but as, as into I, as I can be for a band that doesn't actually have an album you can listen to. <laughs> Just like a few singles you can find. Yeah, you could probably go to their house and be like, I love you guys. And be like, oh, yeah, cool, yeah. sure. <laughs> Um, did anyone else want to tack one on? I thought we had a list, but I guess we don't. Well, I, I threw in the new Bruce Springsteen album since I don't know if I'm going to get around to writing about it at length. I might throw it into my uh, 2019 catch-up post, mm. even though I'd like to do a proper review because it's like the first Bruce Springsteen album in a while that I have thoughts about. Ah, I like, see. you know, the past... Really the past... Two decades, basically since I became a Bruce Springsteen fan, like I'll usually check out his new album, and I'm usually like, eh, "This is pretty good," or like his last album, "High Hopes." I didn't even listen to, but I was listening to some of it. I was like, "This is this is weird and not great." <laughs> wow, <laughs> seems like Tom Morello had a big influence on that album for some reason, and I think I just oh. didn't listen to it because it was also like. A lot of songs Bruce just had left over. Um, and this uh, latest album, Western Stars, is like the first time I can remember, really since I became a Bruce fan, where I'm hearing a Bruce Springsteen album that actually doesn't sound like something he's done before. Like it has this very, like, very specific sound where it's kind of like early 70s kind of country, but like pop orchestral country i guess it's been um compared to glenn campbell the most where it's you know it's i guess a more california version of of country music and uh you know there there may be a song or two on this that's like kind of corny but i feel like every bruce Springsteen album has a song or two that's kind of corny but for the most part i don't know i feel like they're they have those kind of lived in songs that you look for in Bruce Springsteen where he, you know he's focusing on characters and and stories taking place in very specific atmospheres and it just the production's really nice too and I, I just am glad I, I got to actually care about a Bruce Springsteen album I, I don't know I, I just assume he didn't have another interesting one in him it's funny you you mentioned him sort of going more country and it's it's definitely a idea that I've heard this year is that like genres are dumber than ever right now because rock musicians are doing country and pop music <laughs> is more alternative and country music is like rap now. <laughs> it's um I don't know. I've always had like kind of trouble categorizing my music in genres anyway. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like maybe maybe that's something that'll go away with time since we don't have radio stations anymore to demand specific genres of music i mean we do have radio stations barely who knows who listens to them does this have the e street band i don't think so i I haven't looked at the credits on it but i I think it is billed as more of like a solo album and i think he's planning on doing an an e street one soon within the next year acoustic is this electric what are we talking i would say it's more acoustic but there's a lot of like sweeping like strings and stuff on it which is i I didn't expect and piano stuff but yeah it's less of a rock album i would say i don't know 
I think the closest comparison I can say is like Tunnel of Love, the, the one he did after uh, Born in the USA, where it's more, I don't know, it, it just sounds more like a, a studio album than a, than a band album. Uh, but it sounds like he's going to do another another one with these three bands soon, and I don't think he's going to tour behind this album, which it, I, don't, I don't even know what that would look like Any if he did. cowboy songs? <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of cowboy songs. I feel like there's... there's a particular character in a particular Bruce Springsteen song that you know. Help, help, Pete! I can imagine some of these... That has strings on it. Yeah. That song's um, eight minutes long. Yeah. Fuck. This album's kind of like that song, but good. <laughs> you lost me at that last so, part. Sorry. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> um, so does that close out our music section? Does anyone else have anything to tack on? I mean, I could, but I won't. There's going to be some stuff that I'm going to review later, but I'm still getting in. All right. So keep your eyes on mildlyplease.com. And, and also, be sure to check out Poon... Uh, Poon the band. Our band camp? Poon. Yeah, we have a band camp, and if you don't know Poon, we dress up kind of like Kiss, and we do really sexual songs. So you know about stuff like doing your mom, and with the nothing to hide album just came out, and it's, it's a hit. People it's, love it. It's a masterpiece. Can't get enough of it, man. We yeah. played a show, and like like twelve people, fifteen. I don't know. Good amount, man. I mean, it felt like we sold out the. It place. felt like we sold out the particular but only, back of a record but store. only because the venue is very small and then once we were done everyone left but us so we had to watch the next band by ourselves was it the same record store that the that halloween show was it in? was yeah. yeah it's a small spot but it's cool <laughs> i feel like that that show also had a surprisingly loyal group of fans yeah, the halloween you know one. poon has that loyal following called the poon navy mm-hmm. and we do well in intimate settings we're a very intimate group and what was the Bandcamp URL again? Uh, it's got to just be Poon Bandcamp, right? I don't know. Poon.Bandcamp? It's not Church of Poon or something, right? I think it's Poon.Bandcamp. Just, just Google Poon Seattle Band it's, and you'll find it, us. It's PoonBand.Bandcamp.com. Poon okay. So check it out. Nothing to hide. It's fucking free. Or you can... Or you go or you, can, <laughs> you paid, didn't you, John? Yeah, I did. I paid myself because I deserve it. I'm not really sure where that money went, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe you can find out if you watch the news on TV. Uh, this is the TV <laughs> section. Uh, maybe I can. High quality not, investigative though. journalism. <laughs> you know, local news. Local news. Um, so I want to talk about some of the shows that I watched this year, and you guys can also participate a little bit. Okay. But mostly this is for me to talk about my shows. You're the TV master, Sean. Uh, and the first one I watched... Uh, going down my alphabetical list was Catastrophe, which is a British TV show uh, co-starring, co-written by co-directed by, I think, even uh, uh, Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan uh, Rob Delaney's the, the Twitter guy and Deadpool 2 and Deadpool 2 and Sharon Horgan. gotta see Deadpool Come, you gotta see Deadpool 2 <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if I've already brought that up in a previous podcast or even in this it, podcast. It was this one when we were we thought we were recording, but we were, weren't recording it. Okay. But it's well, on the record. It. It's yeah. on the record. We, so, so. And Sharon is um, 
She was in the movie Game Night. Uh, I think of her as the oh. co-star from the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and they play, uh, at this point, a married couple. The first season of the show is he's an American. She is Irish. She's living in London. They meet in London. Um, they hook up, and they and she gets pregnant. Uh, and this is a few years later. They have a couple of kids now, and they're married, and... Sometimes very happy with each other and sometimes very miserable. Um, you know, it's it's one of those shows that's like it's a comedy most of the time, but then sometimes it's very dark and serious and scary because uh, you don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, also, Carrie Fisher played Rob's mom on the show, um, so they do sort of a fond farewell to her. Uh, and it's the last season of the show, so now it's all over and it's all on Amazon Prime. You can just watch the whole thing was that where it was the whole time that it was on yeah i mean it was it was one of those things where it was on the bbc first and then okay. when the season ended on the bbc it was on amazon so we had to wait in the states but not anymore because it's over nice how many seasons you said four, four. Okay. and they're british seasons so they're like five or six episodes. episodes um it's got a great theme song too with yodeling uh <laughs> Another show that I loved that was especially devastating was Chernobyl. Uh, I think a lot of people turn to this show as like a uh, reprieve from Game of Thrones. Um, something, a show that's just like totally on its game. Uh, which is surprising because it comes from the guy who wrote like Epic Movie. Craig Mason. He, I, I love his podcasts and he seems really smart and really funny. But he has such a horrible body of work. It's, yeah. it's good that he's finally done something that seems worthy of his talent. Yeah, he's a. Like, everything's been a comedy, right? This is his first foray yeah, but, into. I mean, he did like Snow, one of the Snow White Huntsman movies. <laughs> okay. I don't remember which one. Um, and, and with a movie like that, who knows what it takes to get a credit uh, as the writer on something like that? He's probably maybe he wrote like a draft that was really good. Yeah, and just went to shit. Um, but now this is a a period piece miniseries about. The uh, after effects of the uh, reactor explosion in Chernobyl in the 80s uh, stars history's second favorite actor, Jared Harris. Still putting Michael Stuhlbarg at number one. Mm, that's interesting, yeah. That's a tight race. <laughs> Michael Stuhlbarg hasn't done anything in a while because I feel like that one year where he was, he was in like three Oscar movies. Yeah. And they were. Wasn't he, was he in three Oscar movies? He was in. I don't mean to derail the conversation. Okay, well, he was in Call Me By Your Name. In Shape of Water. In The Shape of Water. I, I thought he was in one other thing. It's hard. You keep, you keep going. You guys are the Oscar trivia people. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it, it's cool. It's a, it's a historical drama, but it's sort of presented like a horror movie. Uh, it's a miniseries, though, so each episode sort of deals with a different aspect of the fallout uh, of the disaster as time goes on um it's a it's horrifying because you know this is a thing where uh, you know picking up a rock is a death sentence or being too close to a, a gust of wind could give you cancer and kill you there's a, there's a scene very early on where uh, jared harris and uh, stellan skarsgård are like we're going to be dead in five years because we're here trying to solve this crisis. Um, and that's kind of what's amazing about the show is that um, there's the hypocrisy and corruption of the Soviet government on display, uh, but also just this amazing heroism of all these scientists, 
and soldiers and workers who got together to prevent this disaster from being worse than it was. Uh, so I, I really, it was a remarkable show. I feel like I learned a lot and was very entertaining. My fellow comrades tell me I should not watch this show. Uh, you're talking about the uh, the Russian reaction. So supposedly they're going to do a show that's like about how America tried to create some conspiracy. Yeah, I'd love to know if this actually happens and if we will be able to watch this. Yeah, so it's isn't the idea. It's um, it wasn't a fault of the reactor. The Americans sabotaged it. Yes, and then only like thirty people died. Yeah, they spread all these lies. <laughs> Looking forward. Is it does Russian TV? Is there is that a thing? I remember there's that movie about like Russian everybody loves Raven. Did that work? <laughs> that take uh, that take off? Maybe. I don't think it did. I don't know. No idea. Uh, did you end up finding a third Oscar movie from The Post? Like, the Post, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Michael Schubert's next movie, he's going to be playing um, Shirley Jackson's husband, the author of The uh, Haunting of Hill House. So another another mm-hmm. period piece. Yep. It's not welcome in the present. Uh, sort of like Game of Thrones, unfortunately. Tough year for uh, that final season. In retrospect, it's weird people weren't harder on the previous season. Right. I think it's because everyone's like, oh, well, you know, I mean, this isn't the last season. The last season is where they really got to, like, bring it home and, mm-hmm. and make it all come together. But it was about the same as the last season. I would say, by and large, this season was better than the last season. It had some better... Se- set pieces sequences like the the whole raid the, the, the city with the dragon was a pretty fantastic yeah. sequence and i know a lot of people didn't like the the battle against the um the white walkers because all at night mm-hmm. i mean on our tv it looked pretty good i i had a good time watching that episode made the room dark watching 4k with the so all this, all yeah, this spectacle good. and suspense and action was good it's just the resolution was was pretty poor yeah but disappointing character work I mean, it was it'd been trending for down for a while, so it's not that much of a surprise. Uh, I really don't know how I feel about it even now. I I, I think I I I don't feel. <laughs> <laughs> I was just because I I was getting kind of disappointed seeing that it wasn't really going in any direction that I was interested in. So I just kind of lost interest, and it's like you know all those there'll be those seasons that I enjoyed, and it kind of ended. That nah, doesn't ruin the show for me. Mm-hmm. It just. Whatever. I'm not gonna be like, go ahead and redo it though. Do it better. Yeah, this time. that part's wild. What I I'm so I don't know if scared is the right word, but I hate that we live in a society where like people can form these mobs on like Twitter and Reddit and all these platforms, and that sometimes studios will like listen. They'll like take it into consideration. To uh, I mean, look at the, what happened with Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, like it looks like shit, but they're actually changing it because people are like, no. It really does seem like there is going to be some sort of Zack Snyder cut of Justice League because <laughs> the fans keep begging for that bullshit. So people need to shut the fuck yeah. up. If something's bad, just let it be bad. As so, you know, there was plenty of good stuff in Game of Thrones. There'll be good stuff in the future. I don't know. Yeah, just well, chill I- out, man. There's a lot of media out there. There's literally a million TV shows million. out right now. Just go watch another one. If I don't even know like all the shows on our list. <laughs> yeah, it's <was laughs> like just because one of the TV shows out of the millions that are on right now are isn't like meeting your expectations. It's like you got yeah. other options. I mean, it's fine. People can complain, but at a certain point, you gotta let it go. Yeah, there's certainly a big difference between being critical and being a whiny bitch. (laughs) (laughs) 
And if and if if the if you're watching a show and it just makes you miserable, stop watching. I think you should leave. That's the name of our next show. I wanted one more. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I'm wondering, but do you think the reason it was bad because there's all sorts of you know theories and ideas? Do you think it was because, and we don't know, this is speculation, mm-hmm. Benioff and Weiss are going to go do Star Wars and they lost interest, like a lot of people say, or the fact that George R. R. Martin did have an ending in mind and they wanted to do that ending, but they didn't necessarily know how to get to that ending. Do you think, what happened? I mean, that's the thing, is there's, George R. R. Martin has publicly said that he described an ending to them and asked for another, like, ten seasons to do it. And for whatever reason, Benioff and Weiss were like, no, we're going to do it in two. And I think they wanted to do it in one. And the HBO was going to split in half, and then they talked them into a couple more episodes, so it became two seasons. Has George R. R. Martin s- stated, like, yeah, that was, that was the one. Like that. The boys did it. Uh, he, he said that some things are the same and some things are different. And wait to see. Wait did to read the books. Did he like it, you think? I'm... I'm sure he liked it. He liked it, or was he like, I think you should leave. <laughs> <laughs> also, what the hell is I think you should leave? Oh, this is this, this, this a funny show. That's what Yeah, it it's a sketch comedy show. I forgot what it was called. I'm guessing Colin's seen more of it. Did you not watch all of it? I haven't finished it, no. Oh, really? Because <laughs> you recommended it to be kind of because it was short you're like it's pretty funny i bet you could finish all the episodes yeah and i did there's only like six episodes they're like 17 minutes long yeah good recommendation Sean. nice it's a funny show it's weird yeah it is. <laughs> a lot of it is based around really uncomfortable situations which that checks out tim robinson is at the center of most of those sketches who is this guy where did he come he from? was on snl he's yeah, an snl but guy. He was, cast member. He was, a writer and cast he member. was a forgotten snl whoa person. he was fine but he never stood out really yeah SNL. and looking at this show i don't know if his sense of humor is really like suited for snl like i think my one quibble with this show is he as a performer is a little limited like his Uh, characters usually do the same thing mm -hmm. they just get all like frantic and create a scene but he's he's writing this too right? yeah he's writing this too and i like the fact that he brings in you know other very talented uh sketch comedians yeah i like that he brings in uh that Sam Richardson guy from Veep who did that show Detroiters with him. I don't know. I, I just Detroiters. Yeah. I just really like that baby of the year sketch. Ah it's yeah, yeah. Really weird and really good. <laughs> Where they're doing an award show for who is the best baby of the year and one of them is like the bad boy and the people in the audience are like standing up and being like, Fuck you I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> And then at the end, they show the previous baby of the years that have died. And it also <laughs> lists, like, how they died. And one guy just says, like, slashed, slashed throat or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, if you're, you're going to see one sketch for that show, I'd say you see that one. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Uh, the, the next show on the list is also one that comes from some SNL people. Um, the other two... Uh, is created by and written by two SNL writers um, whose names I did not write down and I can't remember. I think one of them is Sarah Schneider. 
from the College Humor website back in the day. Um, but I was drawn to the show because it stars some actors I recognize. Uh, Drew Tarver, who is one of the Bajillion Dollar Properties people. Um, and then uh, Ken Marino and Molly Shannon are also in the cast. I think the other creator did that uh, Molly Shannon, Jesse Plemons movie a few years ago. Remember that one? Mm, Chris Kelly, is that guy's name? Yeah, that it's sounds right. like an SNL showrunner. So there we I go. Think. We got to those two names. Mm. Um, so the other two is... I did not pick this up at all from the advertising for it because it seemed like it was just another... It seemed like um, difficult people. It, was, it seemed like a mm. misanthropic gay man and white lady uh, bumming around New York City, which it is. But the angle of it is they're the two older siblings of a like Justin Bieber style like Instagram music superstar, mm. um, and so it's got this funny angle of them like both trying to make it, and and especially the 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 guy who's uh, trying to become an actor. Uh, dealing with the fact that their like thirteen-year-old little brother is just blowing up. Um, it it took. It's not like an instantly hilarious show, but it does. It's like it has a compelling narrative to it, and you and you end up getting invested in these characters and and the story as it plays out. And it's a little too late for me to recommend this to you because they put it up for free to watch on the Comedy Central website. Uh, a few weeks ago, and then they just took it off that, and now you have to, now you got to pay to play. But don't worry, it'll probably just be canceled anyway. This is a, a good year for, or that didn't sound like a good thing, but this is a good year for uh, S, former SNL people because I know there's also that show on HBO now, Los Espookies, mm-hmm. and that I think was co-created by Julio Torres, who was on, um, who wrote on SNL, and he's on, he's on this show. He wrote the papyrus sketch. The infamous mm, papyrus yeah. session that's like a show that he does with Fred Armisen that's like in Spanish on HBO right now that here's really funny they've been two episodes it's like a comedy horror show I'll have to check that out too also a funny show that I've been why well, I've watched it already is Pen15 maybe it's Penis I've never heard anyone ever say it because I've never heard anyone ever talk about it <laughs> I just saw it pop up on Hulu and I was like we should watch this and we watched it and I love it it's my favorite show of the year so far <laughs> And if you're not familiar with the premise, it's two um, adult comedians, um, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle, pretending to be 12-year-olds and going to seventh grade. And everyone else in the cast is actually like 12 years old and interacting. And it's a coming-of-age thing. And it definitely has like its gross, like, like I'm sure it kind of goes into big mouth territory a little bit with that, some of that that's kind of the stuff they get into, like... Um, there's a whole episode where Maya like um, discovers like masturbation, but every time she does it, she's like visited by like the ghost of her grandfather. <laughs> That's pretty good. But there's like some like good dramatic stuff in too. There's like an episode about racism, and then of course oh. they have the the fun like oh it's 2000, so there's an episode where they the, it's all about AIM. So that's interesting. <laughs> And it's just really, you know, even though I wasn't a preteen girl in 2000, there's a lot of really relatable just kid moments. Like there's a part where her um, her dad, who's Richard Karn from Home Improvement, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Al, he's like a, he's not on the show very often because he's like, he tours in a Steely Dan cover band. <laughs> um, but she's like got this big drum recital and like he, um, she says she's got a big solo and he wants her to show the solo, the solo like in her bedroom. 
And um, she's like trying to do it, and then she's like, "No, don't look at me! No, you're distracting me! No, stop it!" It's just this very like back and forth, relatable. Like this is exactly how like a kid acts with their parent. And it's those moments, I think, those 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 little details and nuances that really make the show. Like it's more than just being like a nostalgia show that makes fun of the fact that oh look, everyone was watching Castaway and Chicken Run. These are the <laughs> things that were relevant. It does have an awesome soundtrack, by the way. Like the, all the stupid early two thousand songs. But it's like really good. Like uh, there's moments where I'm like, yeah, this is. I haven't had a show like this in a while. It kind of makes me think about like Freaks and Geeks to have a nice coming of age show that's like smart too that can have those kinds of moments. So. Sweet, yeah, it's definitely on my list. Yeah, watched the first two episodes. I like it. Yeah. Did you like it? I think so. It makes me a little uncomfortable. It's, it's gross. <laughs> it, it, there's a lot. There's some episodes that aren't as gross though. So. Yeah, I believe it. I, it, it, I don't know. So far, it kind of reminds me of like eighth grade. Totally. Yeah. Sure. You kind of get. I don't know. It, it's, it's it's so weird in those moments where it's like they're talking about like how hot someone is, and it's like a twelve year old. Is the second episode yeah. the one where they go to like the party to like smoke? Yeah. And there's like all the boys come over, and there's this one uh, kid, and they're like, "Isn't he eight? He's like, "Yeah, but he's hot." And this one kid is actually like eight years old, <laughs> and then they all pair off into like you know into pairs and. Yeah. Of course, Anna Congo, who's like five nine or whatever, is like in a closet with like this eight year old. <laughs> Yikes! But it works somehow. It shouldn't work, but it works. Do you think going into future seasons they'll uh, age the characters up? Will they be acting with thirteen year olds and fourteen year olds? It or? seems like the kind of show where they would go to like eighth grade next season and then ninth grade. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's Hulu, so it'll probably last one more season and get canceled. <laughs> Which is too bad because it's great. If it was on Netflix, I think it would. Very popular, not very popular, but definitely more popular. Mm-hmm. Something that is popular on Netflix is our next show. I think it's popular, right? It's I, the Russian I, Doll. I, I guess I don't know. Yeah, it it's always hard to tell what's popular and what's just there. I mean, the thing about on Netflix, Netflix is it's really popular for that first month that's on. about? Who are these characters? Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, it's got your, your typical Groundhog Day scenario mm-hmm. where a woman, she's stuck uh, repeating this one day over and over again where the day always starts at this party. And it it's more, I, I don't know, I can't, I can't remember what the rules were in Groundhog Day were. Could he keep on going to a certain point? Like, because he or she ends up dying. In Every single day. time, and it's kind of like death is following her. Uh, so it's Happy Death Day, I guess. Yeah. In, Gra- I in Groundhog that. Day, they, he said that like at like five fifty nine, he would suddenly pass out and just wake up, and it was six a.m. Okay. on the previous day. So yeah. if, if he lived, he'd still just get sent back. He only had twenty four hours. Yeah. So Nadia, the, the character played by Natasha Leone in this, she. I think she can go beyond a day or two, but eventually she will die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that kind of lends this sort of, like, horrific quality to the show that's also, you know, sometimes funny and, and sort of relatable, too, but also has this, um, you know, high concept behind it. And also she, at a certain point, finds a guy that's also going through this exact same thing, and ah, it becomes about like that. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, so it becomes about like their relationship and how they're like making sense of so why. Do they both remember this. when the loop resets? Like they're both aware of it. Like they both die and get sent back to the same start. Yes. Okay. 
They know that it's happening, but they don't remember why or, or what caused it. And um, So how is the show tonally? Is it funny? Is it scary? Is it as serious? I said, it's kind of both. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it kind of... Yeah, I mean, there's one episode in particular where it does go into kind of like macabre, like it 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 goes in different directions totally. But yeah, sometimes funny, sometimes sometimes, sometimes I think that's it's the not. first time someone's used that kind of plot for a TV show, which is an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, yeah. and it got renewed for another season. It seems great because you save on costumes and sets. I mean, it sounds like if it starts at a party, that's kind of tricky because then you have to have this theme uh, extras every every episode. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's a show I didn't really want to talk about because I can't remember all the specifics. <laughs> I honestly kind of want to watch it again, though. So because, uh, is this a case of a Colin binge? What do you mean? You actually like watched it in a short period of time? No. No. I'm watching a pretty reasonable amount of time. I just can't remember because there's a lot of shit that happens in it. Same thing over and over. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, the next show I wanted to talk about is not coming back. It was uh, Amazon's latest version of The Tick, uh, which was canceled this year at the end of its second season, unfortunately. Uh, I say unfortunately because the second season was better than the first, and the first season was pretty good. Um this year they're dealing with uh, sort of joining a sh- shield type organization you guys know i'm an agents of shield fan so the biggest that was right up my alley um especially they have john hodgman as the like lead scientist uh, at aegis which is their shield equivalent pretty obviously named um and it's a it's a season about sort of the bureaucracy that comes with being a superhero in a in a world where there are a lot of superheroes um but at the same time it's still very wacky um they have one supervillain who is turning human beings into furniture like is it chairface no <laughs> they have the rights to chair who do they have the rights to it, Fox has the rights to some of those. It really things. seems like they just have the rights to the Tick and Arthur. <laughs> so that show never got into uh, like other like superhero friends, like how you know like Batman, Well and stuff. Not Batman, Well and not Lady Liberty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they have this other group of super friends. He, he they make at ages this time. Okay, so they do have super friends. Uh. Their leader is Tyrannosaurus Rathbone, who's this like super patriotic guy, but he's he's got like he's got like a valve on his chest and it opens up. And there's like a black hole in there that they didn't get to explain what that's about. Um, some of their other friends, they have that Steve Ogden guy from Grand Theft Auto Five. Is that the guy who plays Trevor? Yeah. Oh, okay, so creepy. He plays like a. Uh, like Mr. Fantastic style stretchy guy. Got a stretchy guy. Um, they got a, a magical guy who has like a th- third eye, but it's just like a third nipple in the middle of his chest. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think those are all like original characters for this iteration of the show, though. Um, but I had a good time watching it, and I'm sad that there's so many unresolved plots that they won't get to. Did the show have a good ending, or did it really seem like they were ready to come back for another one? It was one of those things where it's like it has a good ending and then it has that scene after it where it's like, here's what the next season's going to be about. Okay. 
Um, a big part of it is they have um, sort of a Dr. Manhattan, Superman style character, just like someone who's just like so much more powerful than all the other superheroes. Um, and he's going through like a midlife crisis in this one. Um, and so he, he, he keeps making mistakes like turning uh, Devil's Tower into like a, 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 a monument to him and uh, taking some like online critic of him and flying him away to Brazilian rainforest and stuff. Uh, and and in the end he's like on the moon and he's like if I fly around the earth and reverse its direction it might reverse time or it might kill everybody I don't know it's kind of worth a shot though don't you think and it ends which um, them going after the Superman ending would have been the best thing ever Just fuck that Superman yeah. ending you hate it so much <laughs> Um, just like I hate messes, which is why I was a big <laughs> fan of tidying up with Marie Kondo. Uh, not a great TV show, but it's also very much not what I was expecting. I was expecting sort of like a Queer Eye type thing where it's like you get to know these people. You meet this uh, charming, tiny Japanese lady who helps them take control of their lives. And in the end, everyone's happy. It is not that. Marie Kondo shows up. She's like, here's what you got to do. And then she pieces the fuck out. And it's just like they leave it to the people in the house to like tidy their shit up. And every single person, their house is a disaster for various reasons. They're, they're lazy. It's like one person who's like her husband died and her kids moved out. So she's just lost control of her house. Uh, kids died. <laughs> like, yeah, some of it's like dark. Um, and and it's, it's like it's done sort of documentary style where these people just talk about how grueling it is spending like a month or two going through everything they own and sorting out to just the stuff that they actually want to own and donating or throwing out the rest. Um, but in that way, it's kind of inspiring because it's not the wish fulfillment of Queer Eye where these five wonderful dudes show up and cure your life and pull you right out of your rut. <laughs> Instead, it's, you know, you've got to do the hard work yourself of taking control of things. Um, I know that this inspired a lot of people to uh, to like donate a bunch of stuff earlier this year and start organizing better. Um, but I think this is a show that will be totally forgotten. They'll do a second season. Nobody will watch it. Uh, so I wanted to put it on this list. I don't know, Sean. This was parodied on all that. And you all wow. <laughs> it was a Marie Kiddo. Ooh, oh, and see. she would destroy the things you don't need anymore. Ooh. Like, don't need this shirt? Dynamite. Oh. It would have been way funnier to light it on fire when I feel like that would actually give kids ideas. <laughs> hey, I can put gasoline on this and damn it. The kid doesn't have dynamite, so he can't do that. Kids don't have dynamite for now. We'll see what the gun lobby does about that. <laughs> uh, and now for everyone's favorite part of these shows, the movies. Is it? The oh, first yeah. half of a year is always so like, I have seen most of Desolate. These. Yeah. Um, so the first one is kind of an oddity because uh, it's this movie, Amazing Grace, that's an Aretha Franklin concert film, I suppose, that was filmed in 1972. Uh, Sidney Pollack oversaw the, the filming of the concert. It never got released because there was like, some audio issue, like I guess... They just didn't use a clapper or something. I don't know, which seems like it had to have been something more than that, but whatever. Anyways, uh, they released it this year, 
it's really good. Like, I wouldn't ordinarily recommend a concert film because I feel like it's the kind of thing where, like, you know, it's only if you actually like the artist that I would actually recommend it. But I, I don't know. I think it's good even if you're not an Aretha Franklin fan. Like, it's honestly one of the better concert movies I've ever seen. Just because it has such a fly-on-the-wall feel to it that I don't... I can't think of seeing it in any other concert film. Where it's, yeah, how do you get that feel at a concert? Well, it's not it's not in a like a big stadium. It's at a church actually, huh. and it's uh, it's the same recording as she actually made a live album out of this performance, um, also called Amazing Grace, that was released. But like seeing it with the camera crew and and seeing you know the reactions of people in the audience and just like i I don't know it's just really well shot in a sort of like rough around the edges way where you feel like you're in the room and also like i don't know if i've ever seen a concert film where it's kind of communicating this idea of you know live music as a spiritual experience like literally (laughs) because she's singing like all these old gospel songs instead of like her hits or something she doesn't do the hits she doesn't do the hits they're all just gospel standards but they're also you know kind of in her soul r&b kind of sound um which even for me like i i wasn't really familiar with with any of these songs but i still found the performances really stirring and you know you can see Sidney pollock like waving around directing cameraman in the background whoa just like how you see martin scorsese at the end of that shine a light movie yeah it's like come on get off the stage come on let's go <laughs> yep uh so yeah well, that was a surprise what what where did you see this where was this at? it's not the the sif uptown okay. uh, i feel like it was in a it had a decent theatrical run considering I, I wouldn't have expected a movie like this to even get like a wide release yeah uh how about a movie that was the biggest thing <laughs> of this year they're avengers gonna, endgame gonna, yeah they're gonna release it again so they can have the record the record that doesn't really make any sense because mm. it doesn't take into account inflation you know, see this new version of the Avengers song. It sounds like the timing's just not going to work out for me, unfortunately, because I've got to go on this trip. Can't uh, squeeze it in. I don't think I can squeeze it in. <laughs> it is. A, it's a big squeeze. You know, the movie's over three hours long. You know, I don't feel like. I feel like I, I just wish somebody would tell me what it's going to be. I don't want to like waste my time and be like, "Oh, that was it. That's why I sat through this thing again for that." Well, all you have to do is wait until Friday afternoon, and someone <laughs> will release a description of it online. Oh yeah. People are smart. People will do that. <laughs> Some slash film guy will write it up, and you'd be like, "Oh, it sounds kind of cool." I guess. So, so this movie came out in what was that? Was it March or April? The very end of April. April. Can April? Loved it. Gave five stars. I don't know if I still would. I don't know. It was definitely like it's like everything's coming to a close in like a in a good way. Like, but I I don't know if it's five stars good. I have to see it again. Uh, I definitely. I, I, I mean, I include this on the list. I know we already did a podcast about it. We don't talk about it too much. But I wanted to tell people I saw it a second time. I didn't have to go to the bathroom for the whole time the second time. Yes. I saw the whole movie, including the scene where Captain Marvel kills the spaceship with her powers. Good. Um, and, uh, you know, I was afraid of things like the time travel paradoxes would bother me or... Um, 
the the deaths of the characters that die would feel bad mm-hmm. but i liked everything as much it's like I, st- I still laughed at the funny parts uh, i still liked the action at the end um i, th- I think it's like a really really good marvel movie like like maybe i think the if best you like those movies yeah it's everything you could ask for i just i gotta i gotta see it again I think it's a top ten movie for me for this year for sure. But I think it's a top one movie for top me. Top one. Year. You don't think anything can beat? You don't think there's anything on the horizon that has I mean, potential? Th- there are some serious contenders this year with um, the Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's the movie that I'm really expecting. Like this movie better be like my favorite movie of the year, or or, or, is, or it's a disappointment. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I just have such high expectations. I, I also say. think you know. The, the benefit of Game of Thrones ending a, like a week after Endgame came out was you saw how good the ending I thought that was Endgame the same was. weekend I feel like it was one week different maybe I'm wrong maybe it was the was same the weekend sa- I thought it was the same it must have been you, I think you're right it must have been a week difference <laughs> okay yeah it was it was different but yeah uh, what a um, what an amazing feat to juggle 20 what was it 26 movies worth 22 movies you know don't look at us i think it's 22 okay movies worth of story uh over the course of 11 years and make it all add up to something that's satisfying uh i'm i'm, I'm never going to get over that and uh and i hope spider-man is real good because that comes out real soon um I've, I've seen some twitter reactions to it already that are positive so Hopefully things just keep on going in a good direction, and now the X Men movies are garbage. They can bring the X Men in. X Men movies are in the garbage. They've been garbage for a while. They're <laughs> <laughs> rotting away down there, man. Uh, something else that's rotting away, unfortunately, is Booksmart. It just sort of died on the vine. Nobody went and saw this movie, but we it was, loved it. It was really poorly handled. Uh, who? What studio had that? Was I think it? it was An- Annapurna. It was Annapurna. They, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. They. I feel like they shot themselves in the foot with that. Like, let's release it Memorial Day weekend. Wasn't there something else out that weekend, too? Was that Aladdin weekend? It was Aladdin weekend. <laughs> Which Aladdin even Like, you gotta, with good. these kind of movies, you gotta just kind of slowly put them in a couple. You do the L.A. New York thing. You kind of slowly, you know, go uh, city to city every week. It's kind of like how Lady Bird did it. Like, and that mm-hmm. ended up doing fairly well overall at the box office. And it fucking sucks that Book Smart did so poorly yeah, because it doesn't deserve it it's, it's not like later it's not a heartfelt drama it's a hilarious comedy and hey ladybird's got some good laughs in it. that's she true. jumps out of the car she jumps out what? of the car there's the coach directing the school play <laughs> like it's a football game all the dave matthews band stuff yeah i i don't mean to be smart ladybird at all i love ladybird too it's just like uh, everyone should be able to enjoy Booksmart. I don't know yeah. why you wouldn't like it. But this was more in the vein of like a super bad. You're not going to see a scene yeah. in Lady Bird where it like takes drugs, she takes drugs, and then thinks she's a doll, yeah. <laughs> and then admires her uh, not very feminist but incredible body. When we were watching this movie, it, it was moving really fast at first. It's got a lot of characters. It's it's kids kids talk fast. Kids are quick. But as the movie went on, I kind of felt more comfortable with some of the dramatic stuff and like the more serious stuff towards the the, the latter half. Like that whole pool sequence is really cool. It's a very artsy movie too. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's what worked best for me was actually just the coming of age dr- dramatic stuff, even more so than the comedy. Um, 
But there's definitely some good stuff like in there. I like the Strangler guy. That was a good pick. Yeah. Uh, and the Billy Lord pop it up at every party thing. That recurring gag is great. Calm? Uh, yeah, I figured you'd have some. You want to I, I already wrote a review of it. Calm? Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> you have any questions about John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum? Um, does he drive a tank at some point? No, he drives a motorcycle and a jeep. And a horse. And a horse. Okay. Um, does, does he have the same dog in this movie? He does. Yeah. He's the yes. same dog from the end of John Wick 1. Yeah. He used to hang out with Lance Reddick. I'm always telling Sean that, like, I, he's always dropping off the dog with Lance Reddick. He did it in two movies in a row <laughs> where he drops the dog with Lance Reddick. And then Lance Reddick, like, takes the dog and he, like, smiles. And I'm like, there's some good webisodes to be had with whatever's going on in that hotel. They're getting into some kooky stuff. Like, Lance Reddick's just trying to work in the hotel. And the dog, like, drags, like, a dead body inside. He's like, oh, no, what do I do with this? And he's some sort of weekend at Bernie's, like, joke. There's just so much. Um, so I have a lot to say about John Wick. So we sat down, Sean, we sat down and we watched the first John Wick, which I'd never seen, and I thought it was bad. It was a bad movie. I mean, there were some good parts. The first 20 minutes were fine. Like, I love how simple it began. That mm-hmm. was nice. Like, the motivation was clear. It was simple. But it's a movie riddled with cliches, horrible cliches. The, the villain, everything the villain does, he's, he's the biggest moron in the world. <laughs> he even does the fucking thing where John Wick is tied to a chair. They've been trying to kill him the whole movie. And it's just like kind of like finish him. I'm gonna walk away and not see you kill him. And he gets out. Of course he fucking gets out. He always gets out. It's it's bizarre that somehow that took off. But I'm glad it did because then we watched John Wick two, and I really like it because it has that underground world despise, and that stuff's really interesting. That's what the whole series should have always been about. Mm-hmm. That stuff is cool. And then third, the third one builds on that even more. Where it's like you get to see this on an international level with all these spies, and the action set pieces are incredible. But I mentioned the horse is a great like stable fight sequence where like John Wick keeps slapping horses and they're kicking guys and killing them. Mm-hmm. But my favorite part of the whole movie was they're in an antique store and it's, it's, there's this one like area that's just full of knives and John Wick's just throwing knives nonstop at people and people just get hit in the faces with knives and it's fucking insane. <laughs> And what I love about John Wick is he always has to kill someone like three times before like he moves on to the next guy. Yeah, he's like, I'll shoot you in the heart, and then I'll shoot you in the head, and I'll shoot you in the other side. Yeah, of he's got to raise his gun, shoot you. Yeah, put the head down, shoot, 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 shoot. And then the same with the knives, like stab, 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 stab. Yeah, that seems so good because you can tell it's not like he's not going for precise kills. He's like, I have infinite knives, so I'm just going to throw all the knives. <laughs> I think the movie lulls a little bit. Um, when he goes to the Middle East, yeah, and he teams up with Halle Berry because they they have a regular just gun shootout sequence. And my mind is like twenty minutes long, <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like just shooting guns is is can, is boring. So that's what I think John Wick three has done so well. Where it's like, look, John Wick can use horses, he can use knives. He doesn't have a gun for like big chunks of this mm-hmm. movie. He has to improvise, and that's what makes it so interesting. He fights a basketball player in a library, and he kills that guy gruesomely with a book. <laughs> with a book, it's like watching a Jackie Chan movie. Yeah. Like I was, I was watching. It's like this is like. What Jackie Chan movies are like, where he'd always just kind of use whatever's in his environment. It's using your environment um, to fight, and like I feel like that's a really creative way of constructing an action sequence. It's so much better than guns. I think you'd like John Wick. Too. Yeah, it sounds like it. Because my problem with John Wick One is like 
there was nothing interesting about the way he killed people or the stunts. It, it, it just seemed all about efficiency and just shooting guys and killing them and shooting lots, lots and lots of guys and making sure they're dead. It made me think about how boring that Deadshot character is in Suicide Squad. There's only so many ways you can shoot a gun. <laughs> yeah. So it's great that John Wick like also knows like kung fu and stuff. He, there's so much he can do. Yeah, there's a part where he has... A like totally unnecessary could have easily been cut out of the movie martial arts fight with the guy from the raid and the other guy from the raid two, and it's just it's like a like like again it's like the movie's gone on too long it shouldn't have this fight scene but it's a pretty fun fight scene just because they have no weapons and they're just fighting each other with their fists and also Keanu Reeves is like three feet taller than these other two guys. <laughs> That's an interesting sequence too, because they, they like respect him and they keep like stopping and like taking breaks. Yeah. They're like such a fan of his, and then they start to try to kill each other again. So, uh, of course, it ended in a place where it's like, oh, looks like we're getting John Wick four, and I'm glad we're getting John Wick four because if it's anything like John Wick three, then yeah, keep it coming. This is what we need. We meet, need more movies that are like, you know, these these old Jackie Chan movies. It's such a great way of doing an action movie. Mm-hmm. And it's also just so funny that it seems to coincide with everyone finally officially deciding we all love Keanu Reeves the most out of all actors. <laughs> I mean, he's a he's a nice guy. He's likable. He's got a spotless track record in life. <laughs> he's trying to keep it that way. Yeah. Uh, and he also showed up in the next movie we're talking about, Toy Story Four, as Duke Kaboom. I could have also put it wasn't amazing, but always be my maybe. He was in, and oh, his, yeah, his yeah. part of the movie was the best part of the movie. <laughs> I've seen that part on YouTube. Yeah, should I just give part? up on the movie? I mean, there's some other good stuff. Randall Park is really funny in a couple other parts of the movie. Uh, but yeah, John, um, I almost call him John, but Keanu Reeves is Duke Kaboom. Mm-hmm. Can Canada's greatest stuntman? Yeah. That's true. That's right. It's it the, the Toy Story four was such a weird experience for me because it was like about a month ago. I couldn't have cared less. It's like okay, another Toy Story is coming out. We're gonna go see it because we ha- it's Toy Story. Of course, mm-hmm. we're gonna go see it. Well, but, and it, it got pretty good. Reviews. Well, that's what I was that's what I was ble- uh, leading up yeah. to. Is the week before it's like oh my god, I guess this is really good. We gotta go. We gotta go opening night. And the resounding thing I heard was like it's really weird and. The movie did not disappoint. It's it really weird. It is pretty weird. weird. It's very existential, which I really appreciated. Um, kind of uh, tapping into Woody's uh, his inner voice and how he feels inside. And Buzz's inner voice. Buzz learns a lot from his inner voice. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the middle of writing my review. It'll be on the blog by the time this podcast gets posted, but I'm not... I'm not 100% sure where I am at with this movie. I know I like it. I don't know how much. Um, and, and part of it is um, what you mentioned, Buzz Light, you're listening to his inner voice. That gag got old for me. And I was like, why is this guy so I mean, stupid I like, I like it better than the Spanish thing, personally. Personally, uh, I disagree. But that's fine. I, I also didn't like that because it also felt like they were dumbing down the Buzz Lightyear character. The way I see it, Buzz, Buzz got his movie. Buzz got his movie in Toy Story 1. And Woody gets another movie. And Woody gets the other three. Woody's great. Woody's just a better character than Buzz. It's true. Buzz is one-dimensional. But he worked really well in the first one. He's, he's Woody's sidekick. Um, and yeah, I, I guess we don't, the movie's recently released. We don't have to get into spoilers here to talk about sort of the series issue with fear of abandonment. Um, 
So maybe we should just talk about Forky. I love Forky. He's great. <laughs> I was I didn't even think about it until we were watching it. It's like, yeah, that's he's got to move by like popping along <laughs> on two little clumps of clay. Like it's just so weird to watch him move and his arms are like falling off. Like yeah. Sliding around. It's kind of creepy, man. I mean, he basically wants to die. Yeah. He basically wants to die. He wants to jump in trash. <laughs> he thinks he's an abomination. That's how low self-esteem he is. It's funny. He's, he's exactly the same word describing him in my review. Yeah. Which you haven't been able to read yet. It's just... What a coincidence. I think the Toy Story movies are all secretly the horror movies. Before he's told body horror. <laughs> And those yeah. dummies, man? Oh, Fuck those dummies. dummies. I love that they're the only characters that don't talk because a dummy needs like a person to make it talk. So they just go like... <laughs> I will say I really liked... Uh, I guess this is the second movie in a row we're talking about with an antique store. I like the setting of an antique store for these dolls kind of thinking about their, their sort of long-term lifespan since apparently they're... Uh, you know, doomed to live forever, yeah. like bicentennial man. And it's another angle. Exactly. It's another angle on on this the recurring element of the villains of these movies of um, rejection turning yeah. into resentment, turning into bitterness and hate. Yeah, I think uh, I like the villain a little more in this one than Toy Story Three. They just can't top Stinky Pete. Is as good as they get. Yeah. Um, he's, he's like the least sympathetic, though. <laughs> Sticky Pete's least sympathetic. I, I'm just saying that because I can't remember his yeah. backstory because I didn't watch Toy what Story two. Sid this week. Sid, well, I don't really. Com- just a My thing about Sid is like Sid didn't know toys were alive. He's just being creative. <laughs> He's expressing himself. <laughs> he's expressing himself. It's art, man. I've heard like some of the Pixar guys say like. They saw a lot of themselves in Sid. <laughs> I mean, of course, for the toys perspective, he's torturing them, but he, they're just fucking toys. Ooh, it's funny you bring up torturing, because the last movie we were going to talk about is Us, a movie about... Torture is funny. A family torturing another family, to put it very broadly. It's what America's all about, Sean. It's what America's all about. Just picked this up on Steelbook. So you're saying Best Buy exclusive. So you're you're buying into the interpretation that it's about class warfare. I was just making. You're going on the record as this is a movie about class warfare. I don't know what it's about, and I don't really care. I kind of like that. It it hits on so many things that I feel like you can go in a lot of different directions, but you don't have to. You can just you can even just enjoy it from afar as a thriller. It just has all those those nice little uh, those those little tangents. It's such a detailed movie. I feel like it's the kind of movie where I could watch it um, over and over again and kind of come to a slightly different conclusion. I'm trying to remember where I settled on the first time I saw it. Like, what did I feel, like, feel this movie was about? I guess just... Uh, I don't know. I, guess maybe, I think maybe class warfare, yeah. Just Americans neglecting other Americans, even though they're basically... They're just like us, man. In this movie, they're literally us. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, and of course, people sort of picked on the movie for being one of those stories that if you think about the logistics of it... Dude, if we're going to get into that, Toy Story makes no sense. <laughs> when you were watching those Toy Story movies, 
I didn't realize how fucking weird things are. Like, we were talking about how, like, isn't it weird that Woody doesn't remember his backstory at yeah, all? he doesn't remember but anything. Buzz knows his anything. really well. And I'm not buying that he has batteries. Like, and, that doesn't change anything. And there's that moment um, when, like, Woody first talks to Buzz and he kind of, like, pops his eyes. And it's like, is that Buzz coming to life? Like, are toys not alive until they get a kid? Because then how do you explain someone like Stinky Pete who never had a kid? Anyway, uh, I just feel like if a movie's good enough and if it's trying to say some complex things, you can kind of let something slide. Yeah, uh, and it was tense. Well, also, it's like the, the conceit of it is so fantastical. Anyways, it's hard to yeah. like, really get into the logistics. It's like the the kids aren't uh, toys aren't alive. Um. How do you guys feel about this recent trend of taking a chunk of a cast from a Marvel movie and putting it in a different movie? It's so like Us has two actors from Black Panther, and Men in Black International has two actors from Thor Ragnarok. Is it just we've hit? There's so many Marvel movies that that just is naturally going to happen yeah. now. I think that's it. I don't think it's intentional. Like we gotta go look through all the Marvel movies and pick out all the Marvel people. <laughs> You've been going to that voice a lot lately, John. No, earlier I was George R. R. Martin. Okay. <laughs> but I can't, there's not really a lot of Marvel. Is there Marvel people? And uh, I guess Peter Dinklage was in an X Men movie. He was in an X Men movie, and he was in uh, he was in the Infinity War. He was. Mm-hmm. Fuck. And of course, what's your face? Fe- Dark Phoenix. It's not technically. I'm not getting into this right now. <laughs> <laughs> but making every connection. No, I think that's just. There's just so many Marvel people, so it's naturally going to happen. But it's cool because, like, I wasn't sure if I'd ever see Winston Duke in any other movies aside from Black Panther, and I didn't know his skill range because that was the first time I think most people had heard of him. Mm-hmm. And he was really good. Lupita Nyongo was amazing. I think she deserves an Oscar nomination. Let's see if people remember, you know, yeah. stuff when a movie comes out in like spring. And you know, it didn't make quite the impact that Get Out did, but I. I mean that's a pretty tall order. Yeah. Yeah, it's um I, I guess hereditary proves that great uh acting performances in horror movies go unrecognized by the academy. That was really disappointing. And even like get out like um that only got the nomination for best actor cuz James Franco's scandal broke like right before <laughs> he was definitely going to be like the the last actor nomination not Daniel Kaluuya. Mhm. So, um, it sucks. People need to recognize that it's hard to be scared and cry. <laughs> it's easier than fucking eating a bucket of fried chicken while you're driving around <laughs> being racist. <laughs> <laughs> that is an Oscar name round a performance. I mean, yeah, if, if we're talking about the movie moments of uh, 2019, I think Green Book <laughs> winning Best Picture is... One of the uh, more disappointing ones. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Let's not to go off on Green Book, but well, I almost feel like it's worse than Crash because I feel like we're almost more aware than we were when Crash came out um, in terms of what's socially acceptable. I feel like we're a more socially conscious society right now. So the fact that Green Book can <laughs> fucking win Best Picture. Is insane, and no one liked that decision. I don't. I didn't hear anybody like, "Yeah, finally, a little recognition." <laughs> so I don't know how it happened. I think it was just it was a it was a weird field 
and it kind of just ed- barely edged out a win. I mean, there was bad movies that were winning awards last year. Bohemian Rhapsody won Best Actor, and it's not like a it's a fine performance, but like that's a bad movie. Vice is a bad. Movie. He's wearing cartoon joke terrible teeth. <laughs> he does have the cartoon teeth. So it sucks that that stuff just because it comes out within a good time, whereas stuff like Hereditary and um, and Us will, pro- will probably be ignored just because it's so genre heavy. Mm-hmm. People need to get over that. Like it, it, it takes something to be like a cultural breakthrough, like Get Out, to even get any momentum. Well, maybe it'll win some sort of. Neptune. What's the what's the Saturn Awards? Saturn Awards. <laughs> yes, it's some space. The other ship. planet with rings. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe midsummer would be good enough for awards. Probably yeah, not. I, I heard it was almost NC seventeen. Ooh. I'm scared to see that movie, John. I I read about one thing and I was like, oh god, here we go. <laughs> I've, I know how one person dies in it. Oh god. There's death in it? Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, yeah. It sounds way more brutal than Hereditary. Oh, boy. And it's like 140 minutes. Oh, no. Are you guys going to go see that? Or I'm going to see that alone. No. I don't know. We'll see. It's got good movies. It's so scary. We should watch Hereditary first. I feel like it'll really set the tone. for. <laughs> I feel like that director's already got a very specific style. Well, I know what we're doing on the 4th of July. but <laughs> it comes out on July 3rd. <laughs> Um, as far as you you fine people that have listened to us this far, thanks for uh, tolerating our technical hiccups and uh, improvised discussion on our favorite things of the year so far. Um, I think we've referred to you to the blog a bunch of times because we were writing about these things and other things. So if you haven't gotten that URL yet, it's mildlypleased.com. That's M-I-L-D-L-Y-P-L-E-A-S-E-D. Com. I feel like spelling stuff out loud doesn't help because it's too many letters and people are just like, their brains glaze over. <laughs> but I tried it. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Search for those words. Mildly pleased. And um, hopefully, I'm, I'm just going to say it's in the podcast to make us accountable. Hopefully, Forrest Gump 2, Pitching Tents, coming at you soon for the 25th anniversary of a dumb movie that America loves. So stay the tuned. Green book of its time. The green book. <laughs> Let's not go too far. Let's not say things we can't take back. It's uh, also a Criterion Month coming up. And Criterion Month on the blog coming up in July. So a lot to look forward to. So stay tuned. And thank you for listening. We'll speak to you next time. It's all in your head. It's all-